0: so that podcast thing let's pretend to do a show or something they want to listen we'll put it out there
1: All right, here we go. Today is June 22nd, 2015, the day after Father's Day. And this is episode 120 of the Defensive Security Podcast. My name is Jerry Bell, and joining me tonight as uh, almost always is Mr. Andrew Callett. Hey, Jerry. How are you? I am fantastic. How are you?
0: I'm good. I'm I picked up a nasty souvenir for my trip, though. I think I got the flu. I've been fighting the flu for a week, but I'm almost over it. But if I sound a little off or I have to mute suddenly because I'm coughing, I, I apologize.
1: told you not to play with the polar bears like that. Well, you know, they're just so darn cute. They are I, uh, how was uh, how you. was your, How was your father's day? Oh, it was excellent. I got to yeah. uh got, went over and hung out with the parents and you know sent off one of the kids to camp for a week. So that's all good.
0: Did the kid know that he was being sent off or did you surprise him with his sudden
1: exile? It was a surprise. Surprise! (laughs) (laughs) Don't leave us with the baby! (laughs) Uh, Uh, All right. So uh, starting off the show, I'll I'll, I'll, uh, remind everyone that the thoughts and opinions we express on this podcast, and I can imagine there might be some tonight. Uh are ours and do not represent those of our employer. So uh so yeah, there's that. Uh just a uh just a quick reminder, the High Tech Crime Investigation Association conference is coming up in Orlando, Florida. I think it is uh, uh August 30th through September 2nd if memory serves right. HTCIAconference.org and yes, I am woefully behind on issuing the winner of the ticket. I apologize. I'm going to do that tonight. Sorry. So, but looks like a great conference. Hope to see you there. Um, moving on to our stories. So the the first story, if I can uh, get my web browser pulled up here, is related to the OPM. I mean, what else would it be about, right? So this one comes from bankinfosecurity.com, and it is called OPM Hack, the rule FISMA played. My one takeaway from this article is that apparently it is super bad if CISOs report to the CIO and all evil in humanity stems from that fact.
0: You <laughs> had more to say than just
1: that. I, <laughs> I missed it if there was more.
0: Well,. First of all, the guy who wrote it is a former CISO in the Departments of, of VA and Energy. Um, so, you know, I, I, what I really read is that he was sort of really picking on the, the Federal Information Security Management Act, the FISMA Act, and uh, how it's trying to shoehorn security into IT as opposed to actually making security any sort of priority or really building any sort of security excellence around what they're doing. And and I you know I remember after Fisma passed not too long I remember I was working in a Secure World Expo at a booth for some vendor at the time, and I remember a bunch of people coming through who who just didn't have an IT vibe at all, and they were asking very basic security questions and I and I would ask them like who who are you and you know who do you work for and they would say oh I'm I'm the newly appointed. Um, computer security contact for this office of this you know, department. I'm like, oh. Uh, and I asked, do you have an IT background? No, I used to be the lead secretary since I work with the computers so much they gave it to me. And I'm like, oh, that's going to work well. Mm-hmm. And I just remember thinking back then, it's probably much better now, but they would just appoint people and, and and checkbox it. And so a lot of what I read into here, obviously that was just a little anecdotal thing that I experienced, but what I read in here is that he's really picking on FISMA as not building a security program more as as it was to pay lip service to the program uh, and not really get proper security done in the federal government.
1: Yeah. And in fact, he he does say, uh, uh, boy, there's an echo. Uh, He does go on to say that the CIO role is often a political appointment, and I think that kind of is in line with what you were just saying. And and so if you have a political appointee, how good is that political appointee going to be at uh, taking security seriously? But, you know, I, I guess the skeptic in me says that, you, you know, what, <laughs> what's to make the CISO role not be a political appointee role, even if it were moved out from underneath the CIO. I mean, it's, it just, I'm I'm kind of skeptical about, um you know that that kind of thing uh, but you know i'm not in the in the ranks and so this person seems to be a lot more close to it and he he certainly does have a lot of frustration with um what i guess the way he perceives FISMA, the box FISMA apparently is putting the government in and and he goes on he actually goes on a rant and and describes a hypothetical Uh, agency head who thumbs their nose at FISMA in Congress and elevates the CISO role to a direct report to the agency head uh, and reassigns the business as usual security staff and discharge its contractor masters. And, and, you know, goes, just kind of goes on from there. I think, uh, I I think the, um, I, I guess, like you said, you know, it's, it's trying to apply a one size fits all Uh, Methodology, but at the same time, uh, you know, it's when I've been in large organizations, and it's very difficult um, to to get away from a one size fits all kind of model. Yeah, not not justifying it, just saying it's really hard. Um, You know, we didn't we don't have it as a story, by the way, but kind of tangential to the OPM breach story was you know the the big controversy that some of the OPM IT staff were overseas contractors, some of which were in, dun-dun-dun, China. And, you know, what frustrated me, and maybe it's because I work for a comp- an outsourcing company, um, is that they they kind of subtly imply that there's a linkage between the two things, you know, and there's really no evidence... Uh, There hasn't been any evidence or or any implication that any of the people who were working in their IT department, even those that were contract offshore resources, were in any way, shape, or form uh, responsible or associated with the breach. But, you know, it's like, you know, it's, uh, you know, hey, China broke into this database. Oh, no, my gosh, they had Chinese people on their IT staff.
0: Well, all Chinese people work
1: for their government intelligence agencies, don't they? Well, cl- I, I clearly that must be the case. <laughs> so, now and and there's been a lot of I don't know if it's manufactured outrage or 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 how to describe it otherwise. Um but I will say, you know, one of the one of the problems is I don't know that it was and I'm not I'm certainly not a you know, an, an expert in this area, but as far as I understand it, there wasn't a problem with not, you know, with, with foreign nationals accessing this information, you know, and it, and so was it misclassified? I don't know. And so that's kind of one of the lessons I think out of this, you know, the, the, the overarching story here is that, you know, it is buyer's remorse, right? Well, you know we we can we can look back and say, oh my gosh, it's so horrible that we didn't protect this data better because now we know that it, you know, the, the the amalgamation of all that data is of paramount importance to the government because it has apparently the, you know, the names and and affairs and all kinds of nasty stuff about, you know, spies living in. In China, and, and now you know our intelligence operations is, you know, apparently a big smoking crater because the HR department got compromised, and no one really thought that was important.
0: Well, I, you know, I wonder if anyone even ever truly asked that question. Really, you know, you look at the abstract layers involved here of outsourcing and contractors and sysadmins and where they are and that sort of stuff. You know, do you think anyone ever consciously sat down and said, okay, we can go with the Chinese guys, they'll cost us X, or we can go with U.S. people, they'll cost us Y. We'd rather spend X, and we don't think it's that scary for them to access this information, so we're going to go with X. Or do you think it's just one of these things that just momentum and inertia and bureaucracy just carried the day, and no one ever really double-checked? I mean, granted, when you have the classification system, and it says, you know, no foreign... uh, entities you know that that should trigger some sort of review at some point you would think but i've never worked in the federal government so i can only speculate um but i I guess what i'm saying is that i don't
1: know that it was that conscious of a decision i don't don't think it was so i i I guess well there's two sides to that coin on the one hand i think the data part of this stemmed from the uh, what i will what I'm going to controversial call controversially call the misclassification of the data, because if it was so damn important to keep so secret, um, you know, maybe it should have had a higher level of classification. I don't even know if that makes sense or not. Doesn't make sense, but you know, uh, whatever. Um, I, I think that, I think the issue is that again, when you look at big organizations like this, you have these monolithic, policies like data classification that say that you can do this you can't do that and you know and and then uh you know the, the organization is with you know that they kind of have to work within the system quote system and uh, i i think there's probably some um, incentive to find the more economical way to do things but again uh, you know i'll say that you know, going back to my, my original point that I don't think that the fact they outsourced those operations to, you know, to Brazilian and Chinese people were necessarily the problem. Maybe it was symptomatic of a bigger problem where they weren't paying attention to their IT, which by the way, I think if you look at the, you know, the history of their um, inspector general audits, it sounds like, and, and by the way, I think that's probably the biggest story in this whole thing that no one's really talking about is that, you know, apparently the inspector general has been writing them up every freaking year for, I don't know how long, and everybody apparently waves, you know, well, not everybody, but some people wag their finger at at uh, at OPM and then go about their business. And then, oh my gosh, they got breached. Holy what cow! The specific, what were the write-ups about? Um. I don't have the the details, but it sounded like it was a a pretty pervasive, some, some pervasive problems. Um, you know, and and I, I I don't know. you know, this is, this is one of those, those issues where we don't have enough real information to say exactly what happened. We know that the data that was apparently stolen was, was stored in a uh, 25 year old system. And, uh, Apparently, it's really hard to encrypt 25-year-old systems, which, by the way, I think is, is probably true. But, you know. Well, again,
0: encryption may not have been the panacea.
1: I As we agree. said
0: over and over in the show, let's say you're doing a file-level row. Let's say it's a database. And you're doing, I don't know, row-level encryption on the database, you know. Uh, if someone has valid credentials to come in, it doesn't matter if it's encrypted. That database will happily decrypt it for them. Here you go. That's so, right. <laughs> that's anyway. right. Well, you know, looping this back to the OPM story, you know, one thing he talks about in here is that m- many agencies are using the quote, lowest price technically acceptable end quote contractors to protect some of our nation's most important sets of data. So, you know, he's even pushing that they're going for, in essence, the minimum cost with the minimum level of technical capability to do whatever the contract specifies needs to be done. And that is the way that the businesses are purchasing technical contracting
1: but isn't that you know isn't that kind of what we expect the government to do um on the one hand, but on the other hand i would I would argue the fact that this this data was not considered among the most important and sensitive data the com- the government had prior to the breach I mean certainly now we all we we're all running around crazy about how sensitive this data was, but i you know I get the sense that that was not the prevailing opinion about this data before.
0: Yeah. So. Yeah, I also thought it was interesting that within moments
1: it was China. <laughs> Who else could it be? <clears throat> I guess North Korea is out of vogue. Yeah. Well, you know, there's always Iran. But. Well, I
0: think North Korea filled up all their hard drives with all the Sony data, and they, you know. Oh, it could be. I think they had to ask China to do it for. It. I think I think North Korea is subcontracting to China.
1: Well, actually, you know, there is there there was some stories about how uh, allegedly the North Korea cyber army actually was operating in China. So, or is not past tense. Is, well, that's
0: because they can get better hot pockets there
1: when they're when they're sitting in their basements hacking. That's true. That's true. And caffeine probably is not allowed in north korea i bet yeah yeah so anyway yeah yeah anyway moving on to our next story killed that one uh this one comes from cso online and the title is user error is an expected business problem um what i learned from this article is that cso online pays by the word uh but aside from that um it's actually a a, i think a pretty good article though um ira winkler the the person who wrote this is the topic of lots of um, debate, we'll say. Uh, I think this is a pretty good point, you know, that, that um, in many other industries uh, outside of technology, there's a, you know, a firm recognition about the limitations of, of, uh, of humans. And, and there's a, there's a, uh, a strong, desire and drive and, and and effort to, to try to mitigate that, you know, and, and they specifically talk about, uh, airlines, which I'm sure you're going to have something to say and, and also factory workers. But I was also thinking about like medicine, you know, they, they probably have similar, similar kinds of things where they try to fight some, uh, you know, human related, uh, failures or, or basically mistakes through the use of checklists and, and, um, uh, workplace designs, as as he points out, and uh, you know, I think he he makes the claim that at least in the physical world, human error can be reduced by about ninety percent through redesigning the environment, and then you just have to worry about the remaining remaining ten percent. Now, in the in the IT world, I don't know if you know. I I think part of the problem is we don't really have good metrics on you know on that, and and that's part that's part of the I think the underlying story here is that as an industry we don't do a very good job of kind of figuring out how to best address human error we you know we see that we got fished and so we go hire a you know a fishing a company to come fish us and um you know we we pay money for a um you know, some kind of security awareness training program and and if anything happens Net of that, you know, we call them stupid or incompetent or malicious or what have you, and and uh, and we move on. We don't generally tend to uh, think any more about it. So, uh, and I think his point here is that human errors are are not the exception; they're just a fact of life with having human employees. So, what say you? I, I think his fundamental point is accurate, that that you cannot reduce
0: human error to zero and that our expectations of our, of our users to not make mistakes is probably a fool's errand. Um, but I think that he's also mixing some very different things together and trying to compare apples to oranges. And I feel like I'm not being very articulate tonight. I blame the cold medicine. Let's see if I can make a little more sense. So, you know, a couple things that came to mind as I read through this article is that we as a field go to these user trainings and whatnot because that's what the vendors are telling us we should do. We're looking for a pro- for a solution to the problem, and we go research it. And what do we find? We find propaganda from the vendors who put out these videos and other uh, phishing campaigns and that sort of stuff. And so, we, you know, I don't know that we as an industry – have a better option being presented to us that we're not going after. And maybe that's what he's arguing is that we should, you know, be doing more third party independent sort of testing. But, you know, he, he brings up aviation as a place for checklists and I actually completely agree with him. makes perfect sense. And and I didn't have anything to say uh, negative about that. Um, But, you know, there's, There's something, if I compare, all right, just a user going about his day, let's say he's an accountant, and a pilot doing his job and using checklists, keep in mind that the computer and and the things that they're having trouble with are usually secondary for the accountant to the actual accounting, whereas for the pilot, the checklist is in his primary field of aviating. So... Right now, what we're actually doing is talking about how an accountant as our test user is making a mistake and let's say, falling for a phishing email. And how do you wrap a checklist or training around that when really their primary job function is to do the accounting, much as a pilot's primary job function is to fly the plane? So. The other thing that's different is that there's also bad guys actively looking to exploit known weaknesses in human psychology. So, yeah. for aviation, the problems are fairly static.
1: It's not an they, intelligent it, adversary mucking with your typically your, your plane.
0: no, right? Typically, the NTSB and the FAA at least within the US can spot trends over time and attack those trends. Now, we develop new trends we've we've got some issues right now, at least with aviation, where um, pilots are getting too transfixed with the new technology in their cockpits and that kind of thing but um, but in general, we don't have a high evolving threat environment in aviation now to me, it's more like a battlefield environment where where you as uh, one side of the conflict and the other side are keep you know, countering and, and counter countering, and and developing new techniques and counter techniques, and then counter counter techniques. That, in in that case, it's much more difficult to have a static plan because things change so rapidly. So. I don't disagree with his point. And in fact, I've thought about some of this too. I've thought about um, using checklists and stuff for high error-prone activities and certain IT security functionalities like creating firewall rules and that sort of stuff. I think there could be some some advantage there and it's something I've kicked around a little bit in my own head. Um, but he's, he's taking a... dumbing it down a bit. Areas where errors are... St- static in, in their evolution, typically, and aren't being opposed by a intelligent adversary and they're comparing to an environment where the environment is changing all the time, errors are changing all the time, uh, we have active adversaries all the time, and it's difficult to compare those two. I know it was a long, rambling way to say that, and I apologize, but did that make sense?
1: Yeah, I, I think so. Um, you know, the, the other thing that, that as you were as you were talking, I was envisioning, uh, you know, a checklist. Every time I go to check an email, you know, before I, before I open an attachment, I need to go through this checklist. And and contrast with the pilot analogy, you know, the 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 pilot goes through the checklist once at the at the beginning of a flight, you know, where 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 that's kind of a central focal point. And contrast oh. contrast that with a you know, with a person who's who wants to go through the checklist so we can get to the bathroom. Right.
0: <laughs> Technically, uh, especially with airline crews, they've got about 18 checklists. So, pre-flight, taxi, takeoff, climb out, cruise, descent. You know, th- there's a lot of checklists. But yes, I agree with you. Not just the pre-flight checklist. But... Fair enough. I-, I completely agree with you, though, that um, if you had a checklist to do every tiny little thing in your environment uh You would a insult your user uh, you would you would run up to a lot of other psychology too about telling you know delegating people all the psychology over the years of tell don 't delegate them that the how delegate them the why and let them figure out how to get there that kind of thing right where we 've tried to empower our users, so you 're going to have some other unintended consequences when you start doing those sorts of things
1: yeah plus i don 't I think some of this stuff is is not really. Um, doesn't really lend itself <laughs> to a checklist. No, I agree. Um, some some aspects do, though. Um, yeah. I like your I like your firewall rule. I mean, I think that there are, those I, things like that make a lot of sense.
0: Yeah, I mean, things like you know creating privileged admin accounts and right. you know high sensitive situations uh, when people get fired or you know terminated. Uh, checklists, there. I think I think there are areas where checklists and IT make sense. You know, there's one other thing that that I wanted to kind of poke at a little bit here. Um, you know, he, he's talking about carelessness and attentiveness, and that you know people having a, a value for what they're working on. And he uses example for example, I know a normal person will be clearly more attentive to holding a baby securely in their arms than they might be holding a sponge. They have a greater sense of responsibility with a baby and are naturally more attentive. Well, the problem with this is that. To most human beings, there's an obvious negative consequence to dropping the baby, and there isn't to dropping the sponge. Now he's trying to say that in you know contrast that to IT, uh, where people should have an obvious understanding of the value of the IT you know data they're working with. Well, I would argue they don't. There's no negative consequence to fall for a phishing campaign.
1: Right. No, exactly. Exactly. So
0: th- there is no. Psychological impetus to care more about my company's data. In fact, most people are even more flippant about their company data than their own data. So,
1: which I is which is bad. Yeah, <laughs> which is really bad. Um, so,
0: it's an interesting yeah. article, and it makes some interesting points. But I think it's, like, it's trying to draw some psychological parallels, when I don't think it's as simple as as it's spelled out to be here at all.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, like I said. The, the author is a controversial character. So, so yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, like I said, it's a good read worth, uh, worth paying attention to. The next article we have is also a good read and it comes from Data Breach Today. And the title is Post Malware Outbreak, Rip and Replace? Question mark. So I don't recall if we talked about this story or not, um, you know, I'm getting older, and the brain cells aren't working like they used to. But uh, if we haven't, the uh, the the German parliament called Bundestag, I guess is how you would say it. Uh, sorry if you're German. I, uh, I, I'm I'm te- I'm a terrible person, and I'm sorry. Uh, anyway, the
0: the this, German this this has nothing to do with your bad pronunciation of German, though. Well,
1: that's true. That's true. The, uh, the The German parliament uh, recently had a bad malware outbreak. Some tor- is some- there a good malware outbreak? Um, I've seen some that I would call good. Yes. Okay. Um, Carry on. But anyway, not often, not often. But anyway, it's a, it's a Trojan the likes of which have not, uh, as far as I know, been publicly disclosed. We, there's not been a a public uh, discussion of ex- exactly what they're fighting with, but there has been a uh, a discussion that they're apparently looking at the prospect of replacing all twenty thousand PCs and and potentially uh, some portion of their server infrastructure as well. And uh, and and the point of this article was that you. We can use this as a as a case in point, where it makes sense to integrate your incident response in business continuity plans, because in in certain cases, and by the way, um, my good friend Bob has been in a number of cases where uh, this sort of thing has happened, uh, where you know th- there's been active Malware outbreaks, and it's kind of like a whack-a-mole game. You know, you can, you can spend a whole bunch of effort, especially when you have thousands or tens of thousands of PCs. It becomes a really, really difficult game to play. And, uh, and if the malware is at all intelligent and you know, it, it morphs over time, uh, and you don't know where it's coming in, you know, this is a very difficult prospect to recover from and uh, and so the point is that you 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 ought to think about in in the context of your business continuity plan the the prospect that you may need to enact a similar type of plan if let's say your one of your office buildings uh burned down and many of your people lost their PCs and you lost your data center or or what have you Um, I'll also say, when I was talking with Bob about this, he works at a big company that is very geographically diverse, and they take full advantage of the fact that they are geographically diverse in their business continuity plan, and so they don't feel obligated, or they don't feel disquieted, I guess is the way he would describe it, um, by... Some of the some of the normal business continuity and disaster recovery problems that other companies have, because so many people are you know uh, work at home or or uh, or in in different offices, that the fact you know that the the prospect of any kind of a disaster, like a physical disaster, um, taking down any significant number of people, is really really unlikely. However, this is a case where you know you you effectively have to respond in the same type of way that you would uh you know w- with a with a kinetic kind of uh business continuity event um but that can happen irrespective of location and so you know if 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 you happen to be one of those companies that thinks like that you know this might be a uh, this might be something to make you to think a little harder about the implication of just, you know, just blindly relying on your, your dispersed nature. Uh, But, but anyway, back on, on track, uh, it is not unheard of to get to a point in an incident response where you say it's time to burn it down. And I, and I will tell you, I don't have any insight into the environment at, uh, at the German parliament but I'm going to bet active directory is part of it and I'm going to and I'm going to bet that they're having a hell of a time cleaning it up and uh you know and when you've got 20,000 PCs in an active directory infrastructure you're you're talking about the world's worst game of whack-a-mole
0: well you know I was thinking too we're starting to hear more about malware that can hide in things like the GPU firmware um, and other spots that are persistent across OS reloads. So there might be other reasons to swap out hardware.
1: Well, the, yeah, certainly as time goes on, you know, and I've said this, God, I've said this, I started saying this after stupid stuck, Stuxnet came out, but, you know, the thing that scares me most as we go forward is that time every damn one of these kaspersky write-ups or nsa play set or snowden documents or whatever you know it's you got you got all these criminals saying huh that's a really damn good idea <laughs> or and and other other countries saying wow that's a that's a fantastic idea and so so basically they're raising you the could, state you, of the
0: art you could say the same thing about tom clancy books you know it's just
1: they still got to do it but it's been done. It's not. Yeah. It's not. I mean, the difference between a Tom Clancy book and you just want to control
0: ideas, Mister. You don't want information to be free. No, you're just a thought police.
1: <laughs> I just think we have to be be realistic that um, all of the not all, right? But but much of the R and D that goes into our intelligence apparatus or the intelligence apparatus that you know. At, at different in different countries is bound to show up in uh in your average uh you know organized crime malware someday and that's my point so so yeah fine yeah and, fine. and 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 which by the way kind of goes back to the to your point right i mean yeah. we start we start getting you know uh, malware hiding itself in in the you know, in the, in the the CPU of your hard drive, or your GPU, or your BIOS, in um, incident response, you know, I'm just saying, let's I'm gonna buy some stock in in uh in FireEye. <laughs> well, it's one of those things where
0: you know we've got to get better at detection of compromise based on anomalous behavior yeah. at, at a very very high level, right?
1: Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so anyway, um it's it's a it's a good article, it's a good thought experiment. I think it's a really rare type of scenario. However, we have seen it in Saudi Aramco and in a bunch of companies and organizations in South Korea. We saw it in Sony. Uh we we now apparently saw it in the German parliament. So, you know, it's not you know it's not epidemic, but it you know it's um, it's not unheard of either. So you know, especially if you're a larger company, it's probably worth thinking about. And you know, the flip side is at least fortunately, a lot
0: of commodity PCs are now getting very very cheap. That it's reasonable from a standpoint of budget to potentially make these disposable. That's it's, that's a great it's not point. as
1: bad as it used to be at least it's a great point and you know it's a great opportunity for your operating system refresh <laughs> uh yeah you can finally get off windows xp uh, yeah yeah or you know or you you've been meaning to get off of windows 2003 and move on to 2012 I mean you know there's there's lo- you always want to look for the opportunity in adversity that's just my... Never let a crisis go to waste? That exactly right. Man, you are just destined for leadership.
0: I know. I just know. ignore the details and just throw out some platitudes and
1: issue orders and go play golf. You'll be good to go. That's right. That's right. All right. So moving on to our uh, next story, which um, comes also from CSO Online, and the title is Six Breaches, Lessons, Reminders, and Potential Ways to Prevent Them. And um, this this article wins the most disorganized article of the night, um, uh, but it is a it is a good one. And by the way, it's I think kind of the, in line with why we started this podcast. So um, they they do talk about six different breaches: the OPM breach, Sally Beauty, Starbucks, Anthem, Adult Friend Finder, and uh, Penn State. Uh, but they don't actually talk really. Uh, Nuts and bolts about any of them. Uh, They do talk about um, you know kind of some of the the more interesting things to to take away. So um, you know I'm I'm not going to go through the the enumeration of of breach to lesson, but their their lessons are that number one end users don't protect passwords. You know that hopefully isn't a big surprise. I'm shocked. I know, I know. Uh, number two, that uh, risk analysis and risk assessments are very important. Uh, number three is that... Uh, you know, I do want to comment on the risk analysis too, right? Because yeah, go ahead. man, I,
0: go ahead. Go I just, it, it drives me crazy when I see things like um, a lot of compliance-driven stuff is not going deep enough in my mind to really assure things. So I was talking to a buddy of mine the other day who was telling me about Uh, a company he worked at where, you know, they they were doing great and all their compliance stuff, then somebody decided to do a firewall audit and found that the the firewall rules were all jacked up. But, hey, we got a firewall, so we're passing the audits, right? So it's as much as how you run your security tools is is more important than that you've got them. So from a risk profile and risk analysis standpoint, uh, you know, if you're not testing, if you're just letting the assumption that, hey, my firewall's there and it's set up properly and everything's great, and you're not testing that, uh, you're probably missing some opportunities for improvement.
1: Yeah, they, there's, a, there's a, a great quote in here. It's a, not really a quote, but a sentence. A lesson of great value is for companies to understand the value of risk assessment, or risk analysis. In order to build the best defense, organizations need to know where their vulnerabilities are. Investing in tools and programs can be a fool's errand if system of security administrators are only running through a compliance and regulation checklist without a strategy. Now, that doesn't really go to the depth of what you just, the thought you just conveyed, but it's, you know, it's along the same lines, you, you, I, absolutely. I think we've both seen cases where, you know, have firewall check <laughs> And, and yep. you know you you look inside the firewall no oh, it it doesn't really do anything it's yeah. just a router Yeah <laughs> That's awesome but it's a firewall and, and and it and it's right there on the network diagram it's a firewall
0: Well and and you know there's a deeper point here which is exact executives at a very you know high level th- th- through no real fault of their own they're forced to look at it that way they can't get down in the weeds on all of these technologies, every, you know, they've got to trust that their teams are running these tools properly. Right, right. They're assuming um,
1: that their firewalls are firewalling.
0: Right, right. And it's an interesting problem because okay, let's say that that let's just play this out. Let's say you know we'll go back to the OPM breach, and you know this isn't the case, but I'll just pick on this for a minute. They found out, oh well, your firewall rules sucked. Well, we had a firewall. Well, who's auditing the firewall rules? Well, you know, you know, typically the people who are actually writing the firewall rules are so far removed from the actual executive leadership of IT or IT security. uh, It's an interesting tough problem, and and I think a lot of companies would be better off not buying new. Shiny boxes and making sure that they're getting the right appropriate controls out of their existing shiny blinky boxes.
1: Yeah, well said. Yeah, definitely well said. Uh, let's see. So uh, moving on, the, the the next item they pointed out was that you need to know what you're protecting, and they they quoted um, the head of White Hat Security saying that. OPM was hacked through a system they didn't know existed. I had not heard that. So I I got to That go. was news
0: to me as well, but I will admit that I have, you know, not read all the news reports, so.
1: Yeah. But uh, but we you know, we we there's been plenty of examples in the past, you know, Bit9 and uh many others that were in fact hacked by systems that they didn't know existed. So, um That is a big, that's a big concern. And, you know, by the way, that's also a big concern I've discussed with some people who, um, you know, who, who don't necessarily think that the whole asset management thing is, uh, is, is that important, right? And, and this is an example of why it's important because you, you know, if it's, if you don't know about it, you're, you're probably not protecting it um, or, or nobody is protecting it well. So that's that's been my experience, at least. Yeah, I agree 100%. You absolutely have to know what's in your environment and what things change in your environment. Yeah.
0: You know, right. if if new hosts are showing up or, uh, you know, new boxes are being deployed, um, these are things that absolutely you need to know. And I think asset management is a prerequisite to good uh, vulnerability management.
1: Agreed. Um, he points out, trip- oh, by the way, I don't know if you noticed, but our, uh, our former coworker, Lamar Bailey, was quoted in here.
0: Oh, I did not notice that. Yeah. I, uh it was it was a very um oddly formatted article that was
1: yes, Kind of apparently Lamar is the director of research at Tripwire. Uh, so good for him. That uh, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Um he's a good guy. So uh anyway, um another another point was trying to I guess uh for, to summarize short circuit the whole breach issue in uh, in short circuit your response to them by using things like trip layers and not the company and honey tokens um you know to as, as a attempt to help measure the effectiveness of your you know of your controls which i think is a good idea um probably the most interesting thing and i've, I've saved it for last intentionally is there's a link to a paper from google and uh, the the I don't remember the exact title of the paper, but it's from their uh, their site reliability engineering group, and it describes how Google has moved, or is, at least is in the process of moving to a perimeterless IT environment. And so all of their applications, all of their corporate assets, are straight out on the internet. There is no VPN. There is no you know, nothing like that. It, it they they rely on encryption. Um you know, it's it's a it's a good paper, right? You know, it's it it, it um invokes a strong gut reaction in some of us. Um but it's worth a read uh and because I think it's kind of a um you know, they're they're once again shaking things up. So worth reading. Um new new paradigm, you know. Go go uh, go forth and read it. It's it's linked in this uh, particular story. So I don't know if you had a chance to read that one, Mister Kelly. I've not.
0: I I'm, I'm curious. Um, I definitely have an initial gut reaction, which is even if you think firewalls suck, it still at least reduces the attack surface against your host. So it seems useful to me to have them.
1: Yeah. Um, well, it's. I think the, the the concept behind it is you. You, <laughs> the safety blanket's taken away, and you have to take everything seriously, and it, you know you, you you no longer fall victim to uh, the the fallacy that your internal network is secure. Right? Yeah. So, I, I I get that.
0: I can I can understand. There's a part of me that sort of likes that there's a part of me that also is thinking about what about lab environments? What about staging environments? What about pre-production, UA environments? Uh,
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, since we've all gone to Agile and DevOps, there is no more testing anymore, so... I
0: I can't even touch my toes. Don't talk to me about Agile.
1: (laughs) Oh, boy. Yeah, so, um, so yeah, let's move on. Uh, the final story tonight, I guess, which is the you know kind of the uh, the skateboarding dog story.
0: Uh, now wait, wait, wait! Just a damn minute.
1: All right, go ahead. Since
0: when do we cover sports ball stories?
1: Well, since sports ball, since one sports ball company hacked another sports ball company, apparently. I I don't even know you anymore. What's become of this show? <laughs> So so the story here is that uh, the FBI is investigating the St. Louis Cardinals, who is a major league baseball team here in the US, for hacking, allegedly, uh, another baseball team, the Houston Astros. And let me tell you what. They used some of the most advanced, persistent uh, threat tactics I've ever seen. So the story goes that uh, that... A an executive who worked for the St. Louis Cardinals for a, a period of years, developed a business, you know, I, I'll use the business system in, in air quotes, to help, um, I, I think it was to help try to figure out uh, what kind of talent they needed and who to go after and things like that. And, and then, by the way, as far as I understand, I've seen the movie Moneyball, right? And, and you know, and I've read Signal and the Noise and, and I know that baseball is all about picking talent, you know, picking new talent. So, so that's their secret sauce. So this guy uh this guy left and went to the Houston Astros and he took a number of people with him. Uh and while he was at the Astros, he built a similar system. So, you know, the next generation talent development or talent identification system. And apparently used the same passwords <laughs> as uh-huh as the passwords he used while he was employed at the Cardinals and so the advanced attackers at the uh, Cardinals are alleged to have uh, because they were apparently very concerned that the uh, that the Astros or you know were, were, had basically stolen Cardinal intellectual property as as the guy moved from you know his former employer to his new employer uh that they needed to go and you know go find out right so so they uh they they found his passwords and you know I don't know much about the the IT environment of the Houston Astros but apparently they uh they were able to log in somehow and and get into uh their application allegedly and that's kind of where the the story goes dark there's really not a lot more detail than that uh, however, this is apparently the first case of one major league or, you know, one major sports uh, organization hacking, uh, uh, again, allegedly, uh, another. So, you know, hey, it's um, at least it's not credit cards and 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 there will be no credit monitoring. But there will be free free game
0: balls for all affected employees. <laughs> That's true. That's true. So, Oh, my. Uh, so, you know, I haven't read anywhere how, what pointed to this other organization and how they got caught.
1: It, that, it hasn't been said as far as I okay. can tell. Um, yeah,
0: I, I, I didn't know if I just missed it because I will be honest. I don't spend a lot of time reading about sports ball. <laughs> Now, certain people will yell at me for thinking that I'm being super cool and trendy by dissing on sports ball and, you know, just trying to make my my nerd creds look shinier. So, how's that that Uh, working out for you? uh, That's pretty much what I'm doing. Okay.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, transparency, right?
0: It comes from being teased by jocks as a child that, you know, you just never truly get over.
1: Fair enough. Fair enough. uh, So, um but, you know, the, the, the thing that, that uh, concerns me a little bit is, you know, certainly baseball organizations, you know, they're not the largest enterprises in the world, but they're not necessarily small either. And probably more than anything, that is their secret sauce. That is their crown jewel data right there. Well, what could they possibly have done different here, Jerry? I don't, I don't know what you expect of these people. Oh, I don't know. Maybe use different passwords. <laughs> I mean uh you know uh, how does that how does that happen
0: uh it's called not being a security guy <laughs> or i uh, much worse than that i guess just
1: i don't know yeah yeah um but you know i think it's it uh, it it shows you what can happen right that-
0: to me this shows me the power of open source right self developed code is the bomb uh, yeah, yeah yeah i'm gonna get some i'm gonna get some hate mail on that one
1: <laughs> we don't even know if it was open source it could this could have been an access database <laughs> that's true it probably was actually that's true so uh anyway i think uh that is the that is the all the stories we have for tonight so uh, anything anything else you'd like to cover mr callet
0: no, I'm gonna go collapse back on the couch and try to get over the last of this bit of flu I've gotten. Be good and chipper for our next show.
1: Awesome, good deal. Well, uh, as always, thank you very much for listening. And uh, it is um, it is quite an honor that we have as many uh, as many of you out there as as we do. And I uh, I, I just don't know what to say. <laughs> it is. I say thank you for spending your time with us. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So, um, uh, with that, if you have any comments or questions, send us an email to info at defensivesecurity dot org. I do try to respond to them all. I sometimes, you know, am neglectful, but um, I, I will uh, will definitely make an attempt. Uh, if you like the show, give us some uh, some love on uh, iTunes. Um, you know, it it's. Uh, It helps us get up on the rankings and we're, you know, we're, we're doing pretty well. So thank you very much for that. Uh, tell a friend, another, another great, great thing you can do for us. Uh, you can follow the show on Twitter at defensive sec. You can follow Mr. Khaled on Twitter at Lurg me on Twitter at malicious link. You can find, uh, the show notes, uh, which include links to the stories we talked about tonight, as well as all of the back episodes, uh, now 119 back episodes uh, on our website www.defensivesecurity.org, and with that, I uh, bid you adieu for a week, and we will talk to you again uh, next time. See you guys. Take care. Have a good week. See ya. I've long called it squishy, and I've had I have lots of um, unpleasant words for it. You know. Taco Bell keeps reminding me of Infosec. So I was at, I was at Taco <laughs> Bell the other day and I ordered a bunch of stuff but I ordered two orders of nachos and cheese and they they handed me the food on the tray and, mm-hmm. and I said and I got I got the two cups of cheese but only one package of nachos. Oh. And I said, "Well, I'm missing a nachos." And the lady at the counter calls back, "Did you, did you put two packages of nachos on the tray?" Eh, yeah, I did. I'm like <laughs> look down at the tray. Right. Count the nachos.
0: Way to f-ing communicate. Bye bye. Bye bye now. B- bye bye. B- bye bye. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye bye.
1: Bye bye. Bye bye.